Make March Madness a moneymaker with MyBookie. Getting started is easy. Visit MyBookie online and use promo code ZABE to receive a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Grab your extra funds now and for a limited time, claim a free entry into the $150,000 MyBookie Madness Bracket Contest for a chance at the big money. If you're the type of guy who likes to fill out multiple brackets to get an advantage, you can do that too. The price of entry is less than an Uber, all for a shot at life-changing amounts of moolah. With so many brands to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and simple to win and simple to get paid, like MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. Today on the Zabecast, Captain America to the rescue. Christian Pulisic delivers the USA through to the knockout round. A point-by-point rebuttal of my helpful suggestions for the game we call soccer. Diet Coke celebrates its 40th anniversary. And Aaron Torres of Fox Sports Radio on college football and the Hugh Freeze hiring. Your 40-minute dose of uncensored me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! (laughs) Here we go! Robinson, back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is stuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic scores! Might have paid the price, but the U.S. takes the lead. Well, let's see if this ball, if Serginho Dest is onside, top of the screen, absolutely is. And as the ball comes across, it's Captain America to the rescue for the United States. And he runs right into the goalkeeper at the end of this, but lays it all on the line for his team and for his country and gets his moment. Wow, John Strong and Stu Holden on Fox Sports with the call. A brilliant goal. And we are through to the knockout round. What a game. What a goal. What a tense second half. That was fun. As I sit here and get excited about soccer on my requisite once every four year checkup. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Happy November 30th, 2022. Welcome to the podcast. That was awesome. Weston McKinney with the beautiful service into the box to Sergino Dest or Sergino, Sergino Dest, D-E-S-T, plays for AC Milan. And then the finish by a striding, streaking, kamikaze-like, fuck it, I'm going to score this goal. I don't care what's going to happen to me. Bang, boom, collision, and oh my God, Captain America is down. That's how it sounded on English television, English speaking television. I'd be remiss if I didn't play it for you on Telemundo. Tyler. Para Weston McKinney se mete Serginho. Vino para Serginho Des. El toque medio posición. Gol. How about that? Perfection indeed. Andres Cantor, the legend with Manuel Sol and Tab Ramos, who was not on that call on Telemundo. Three over 10 second blasts of Andres Cantor's classic goal. So good. So good. So good. And of course, 
Uh, just hours after the match, a Instagram post from Captain America, Christian Pulisic, from a hospital bed where he is suffering from either an abdominal injury or a pelvic bruise. I've seen both reports in the hours after this match on a Tuesday afternoon. But he says, so fucking proud of my guys. Don't worry. I'll be ready for Saturday. And so the Netherlands awaits on Saturday in the knockout stage, the Dutch, the mighty Dutch, world powers in wooden clogs, windmills, tulips, and professional international football. Polisic pride of Hershey, Pennsylvania. For those that don't know, I didn't know fully his background. I got up to speed on it. So second straight day on the podcast, I'm giving you a short bio of one of our players, to which is either going to annoy you hardo soccer fans that I know listen, or will delight you, where you're like, all right, Zabe, get into it. Keep going. Get into it. I love it. Uh, Polisic from Hershey, Pennsylvania. His parents both played at George Mason, which is right down the road from where I grew up on the mean streets of McLean, Virginia, in Fairfax County, Virginia, and briefly lived overseas for about a year, but uh, moved back to the States. He is... A true, true, he's our biggest superstar we've ever produced in international soccer and the most expensive player we've ever produced, which is really how you gauge how good is a guy. And he is truly, you know, fully American born, not just like, yeah, he was born in America, but then was raised in Germany and played in the German youth system. And that's how he got acclimated. Now, this is one of our guys. This is a product of our system. Uh, in January of 2019, Polisic moved from to Chelsea. Uh, from his German league team for a transfer fee of $73 million, which sounds like a shit ton of money, although it's far less than the true top stars in the game. But it made him the most expensive North American player of all time. And at 21 years old, became the youngest Chelsea player to score a hat trick. And during the UEFA Champions League in 2021, he became the youngest Chelsea player and the first American to score in the semifinals. And then became the first American to play in the UEFA Champions League final, winning the 2021 match. Great, handsome looks, all-American boy, Hershey PA, Captain America, and what a goal that was. That's the kind of goal that, as you see replays, it's so it was so perfect and poetic. And that's the beautiful game for you right there. That's why you sift through hours and hours and hours and lots of shit football as I'm sure the diehards would say, to see such beautiful play there that the uh, the inbound service, I believe is what they would call that lead pass from Weston McKinney, and then the deft header on the cross from Serginho Dest, and then the finish, the streaking finish. I mean, full-blown. It was arms flailing, high-stepping, got his leg up, pure strike, poof pillows into the back of the net, and then he crashes into the Iranian goaltender or keeper, and I think hurt his nuts on his giant nose. <laughs> that, that Iranian goaltender had a had a, a schnoz on him, still does. That was something else. And then the second half was absolute nerve-wracking soccer. I actually slipped in and out of couch consciousness in the second half because I was uh, I was working off my Chipotle food coma and I was able to see the final few minutes. Crazy that there was a possible penalty on the U.S. for a just a touch on the shoulder in extra time, like a absurd nine minutes of extra time in the second half alone. I think there was five minutes of extra time in the first half, nine minutes in the second half. That's a lot. But yeah. Now, I've been seeing a lot of pictures of uh, Pulisic pulling up his shirt to reveal a message on his undershirt that said, it's called soccer. And I thought, is that real or is that Photoshopped? What's the backstory on that? Well, it's of course a Photoshop. What really was on his undershirt was a message said that said man in the mirror. And the man in the mirror thing came from a bit of bulletin board material from Mexico superstar, Captain Guillermo 
Memo Ochoa in the lead up to last summer's qualifier for the World Cup. Ochoa said, I believe Mexico's had the most appearances in the World Cup. Uh, They have been at the top of the standings in the FIFA competitions and uh, all the Confederations Cup, et cetera, et cetera. He said, Mexico has been the mirror in which the USA wants to see itself and reflect itself and wants to copy. And so Pulisic, after their 2-0 win in Cincinnati last summer to beat Mexico, pulled up his shirt and it said, man in the mirror. Fucking awesome. But the whole thing about it's called soccer. I I think we should lean into that as a country. I mean, why not, right? I think we should just make that our thing, acknowledging that, hey, you know what, rest of the world, you are going to take us seriously, but over here we do call it soccer. Which got me to thinking, who else calls it soccer? Does anyone? We're the only nation that calls it soccer. I did remember, I was like, isn't there a team called the Socceroos? Aha, ding, ding. Australia, mate. Their nickname for the national team is the Socceroos. So I guess in Australia they call it soccer because they also have Australian rules football. So I I would assume Australia does call soccer soccer or call football soccer, whatever the thing may be. All right, that said, I got this email from uh, Mike in England, who is a loyal listener. And thank you, Mike, for this long email. I'll try to abbreviate it as best as possible. He said, I love the segment on your ideas to make soccer better. As a genuine Englishman born and bred, this naturally, of course, piqued my interest. By the way, did I say, maybe I put it that way, ideas to make soccer better. I guess it was my idea. By the way, soccer doesn't need my help. That's the thing. I say this all the time. Every four years ago, you know what? I do this. I tweak that. I get rid of that. It doesn't need my help. It's quite popular without me and without the bulk of American sports fans. But here was the rebuttal to this. He says, you very rarely get people over here thinking outside the box when it comes to rule changes and tweaks. So it's always interesting to hear somebody away from the game take a look with a critical eye to see what they think. I thought I'd offer up some feedback and critique of your well-thought-out suggestions. I don't know if they're well-thought-out, but whatever. On the timing and the clock issue, I sort of agree with you, says Mike in England. But only to an extent, having been indoctrinated by Lord Football many years ago, I do find the notion of a clock counting up slightly strange by now, whereas 99% of soccer fans don't even think of it at all. It doesn't matter. Count up, count down. I, I get it. He says there is some science behind the amount of time added on. The referee is keeping track of when the ball goes out of play and calculates how much time to add based on and off of that. But I do largely agree with your point. It does often feel entirely arbitrary, too. One of the very core concepts of soccer, though, is accessibility and availability to literally anybody on the planet. Yes, I think I mentioned this. Think about it. Any group of kids anywhere can go play soccer with just a ball. Genuinely just a ball, nothing else. There aren't many other sports that can claim to do that. So in keeping with that, it's difficult to implement too many rules that rely too heavily on technology with, of course, VAR, video-assisted replay, the devil, being the big exception. A story for another day. I inserted the devil, but he said story for another day. Having a system whereby the referees watch stoppages also link up to the stadium. That also links up to the TV feed to the precise nanosecond might work at the very highest of levels like Premier League, etc. But it's completely infeasible to the thousands of other leagues around the world. And a rules disparity like that is just too large. Quite possibly something that could change as the robots begin to take over, though. Just a joke. I, I agree. That's a that's a thing that it doesn't really matter. It's just you sometimes think, well, wait a minute. Why is there seven minutes of extra time, not three minutes? And it does seem arbitrary. You worry about, you know, the refs being corrupt, being bribed, which has happened in certain leagues. On the point of your upper body being useless, I couldn't really get on board with this one. Sorry. Try sprinting with your arms tied behind your back. Also, at some amount at some amount of jostling is allowed, so defenders in particular often rely pretty heavily on their upper body strength. I'm going to uh, redact or I'm going to retract, I guess. Uh, not redact. I'm going to retract my statement about that. The upper body in soccer is used quite a bit, obviously, with chest traps and chest plays and everything else. It's really just your arms from your shoulders down to your hands that are out of, you know, out of play. And the more I thought about it, I was like, that's the point of soccer. The point of the sport is 
what kind of beautiful athletic music can you make without your arms and your hands? And you see it at the highest level. These guys are phenomenal. Penalty kick administration. Penalty conversion rates are close to 75%. So you're correct that it's close to being an automatic goal. However, my advice to defenders would be don't foul in the penalty area. Everybody knows the rules. Nobody gets an advantage. Despite the reputation soccer players have for diving, and it does happen plenty, very few penalties are awarded after successfully fooling the referee. And players often get booked for diving. I don't know. Maybe other soccer fans can say whether or not that's true. It seems like there's just too much leeway for a referee to give a penalty kick inside the box. I just would, I would want to dial down the penalty kick conversion to about 50%. So it's not so heavily weighted towards an automatic goal. Would that produce more rough play in the box? Yeah, arguably. But it negates a guy flopping artfully to basically win a game. As for more than one referee on the field, I honestly don't think this would bring any benefit. Don't forget there's also two linesmen and a fourth official on the sideline, and now VAR assistants look at stuff as well. It's pretty darn rare something occurs on the field that isn't caught by an official somewhere. By the way, the VAR that negated the second goal by the U.S. that said uh, our guy was offsides, I'm like, "Uh, okay. There was actually a cut line of the grass, a mow line, that it appeared like like Weah was clearly onsides, but I guess his upper body was offsides by a little bit. They had this, they do this little snapshot animation of, well, this is what the snapshot showed the moment the ball was struck on the pass at the time the players were either onside or offside. I don't know how all that works. I'm going to do some research on it. It's pretty fascinating, but death to replay, including in soccer. Loosening offsides to create more goals. What this would actually do, Zabe, is create a dreadfully dull style of football. Back before offside was invented, wait, when was offside invented? The common practice would be for a striker to ask as a, act as a goal hanger, essentially camped out in front of the opposition goal. The most effective route to get the ball to him was to lump it up over the field and over and over. It's a style often referred to as route one football, still employed today by less tactically gifted managers and fans hate it. It's not pretty to watch at all. I understand that, and I agree. P.S. The average goals per game in the Premier League is actually 2.65, so the mean average score is 2-1. to one. Not quite 1-0, but still not quite 3-2, to two, which was your point. As for the rules never changing, for the most part, you are correct. The core rules of soccer have remained the same for a long time. However, smaller rule changes and tweaks do occur from time to time. After the pandemic, it was pretty widely adopted in most big leagues that five substitutions could be made instead of three, for instance. The handball rule is actually very similar to the catch rule in the NFL. The definition is seemingly constantly changing, and nobody quite knows what constitutes one and doesn't anymore. And of course, VAR but I won't get into that. Great piece. Enjoy the episode of the Andy. Keep up the great work. Mike in England. Thank you, Mike. Cheerio to you. Well said. Yeah, I get it. You know, thinking about it more, the beautiful game, soccer is popular insanely so worldwide because of its universality and its simplicity. Like you said, any group of kids with a ball and some makeshift goals can play the game. Simplicity, universality, and yes, the fact that it's hard to score a fucking goal is part of the beauty of the game. Everything has to time out just right, and it's very frustrating when you get good looks and you don't convert and yada, yada, yada. But you saw it in the Pulisic goal. That was a thing of beauty right there, and man, it's it's on tape. It's in high definition forever and ever and ever. There's probably going to be some great still photos out of Pulisic as he charges into the net with two Iranian defenders upon him and the goaltender falling to his side. Good stuff. Good stuff. Netherlands on Saturday, 10 a.m., and that will lead off a day of American collegiate football, quasi-semi-pro or amateur, semi-amateur football uh, during the day of conference championships leading into the NFL Sunday, the first NFL Sunday in December during the holiday season. Does it get any better than that? The answer is no. You know, we're driven by the search for better. 
When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Make March Madness a moneymaker with MyBookie. Getting started is easy. Visit MyBookie online and use promo code ZABE to receive a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Grab your extra funds now and for a limited time, claim a free entry into the $150,000 MyBookie Madness Bracket Contest for a chance at the big money. If you're the type of guy who likes to fill out multiple brackets to get an advantage, you can do that too. The price of entry is less than an Uber, all for a shot at life-changing amounts of moolah. With so many brands to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and simple to win and simple to get paid, like MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. All right, time to talk some college football. Aaron Torres is the man Fox Sports Radio, when it comes to college football and college basketball, I had to give him a ring ring after the hiring of Hugh Freeze at Auburn. Coach Freeze was completely transparent with his past transgressions. He showed remorse and had an accountability plan that he's used for the last five plus years. Everything he disclosed to us turned out to be accurate after speaking with credible industry sources. In this way, Coach Freeze was honest and truthful. Another Auburn Creed characteristic. Perhaps Coach Freeze's greatest accomplishment is, the, is his relationship with his wife, Jill, with whom he has been married for the, for the last 30 years. Jill? Where's Jill? Yes, that's the rock star, Jill Freeze. And then with that, I would like to introduce to you Auburn's 31st head football coach, Coach Hugh Freeze. Thank you very much. Man, what an honor. War Eagle. War Eagle. War Eagle indeed. There was the intro today of new head coach, Coach Freeze. Joining us now, the man who was built to talk about this story and more, Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Radio, college football, college basketball, and everything else. I don't want to short shrift his general sports talk abilities, but nobody has more aces on the subjects I mentioned than him. How about that for an introduction, Mr. Torres? Well, um, you know, first of all, Zabes, man, I love coming on with you. What I would say is this. So, so in general, I've been a defender of Hugh Freeze, and I know him a little bit. I, I can't sit here and say what happens in his personal life, but a couple things stand out to me. You know, one of the clips that you didn't play was him talking about, you know, the only thing that matters to me is the love of my wife and my kids and blah, 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 blah. And pretty much that's where I stand on this is that, you know, we, you know, and I've talked to him about this, but – you know what his past transgressions are. They're right. on his Wikipedia page. They're never going away. If his wife has forgiven him and his kids have forgiven him, then I, I don't really know who I am to judge him. And then to take it a step further, people started pulling up all these stories from all these years ago. And what I would say, Zabe, is, again, can't speak to what is truthful and what's not, but that's why you hire a search firm, right? That's why you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a search firm. So, you know, I think the, the intro to that where John Cohen, the AD, says, you know, everything that we asked him he was truthful about based on the information that we have, 
Um, you got to do, you know, you got to go based off the information that you have. And I think he was the best coach that was realistic for Auburn. And I think the SEC just got tougher over the last two or three days. No doubt about it. There's a lot to unpack here, and there's the personal level of it, which it sounds like you are a who-am-I-to-judge guy. And I'm that way about him and his family. I did find it funny. Like He's like, hey, let's say uh, I think his biggest accomplishment is that he's been married for 31 years. And I'm like, no shit, because he was hiring hookers (laughs) on the university cell phone. That's a hell of a feat right there. So God bless Mrs. Freeze. Putting that aside, though, he wasn't their first choice, was he? Wow. Well, I mean, listen, so I, what I would say is, you know, I, I think Lane Kiffin was a clear number one. Um, I don't believe that Lane Kiffin ever really considered Auburn. Um, I, I believe it was a leverage play, and I talked about this on my show for, for weeks now, is you go back to last year, Lane Kiffin's name popped up at every major job opening last year. And if you remember, there was a lot of big ones. Lane Kiffin's job name uh, uh, was affiliated with LSU, with Florida, with Miami, um, and as far as I know, I don't even know if he interviewed at any of those places, let alone was a serious candidate. But, you know, this is why you hire a high-priced agent to get your name out there and to, to leverage folks. And so um, was he uh, Albert's first choice? I don't think so, but I think he was the first. I think once you got past Lane Kiffin, he was the first choice, and I think he was the first realistic guy that you could get there um, that, it, that, that you, you know, there's good reason to think that you can have success. Are there always wild cards that we don't know about? Yeah, look at Luke Fickle at Wisconsin. Look at uh, Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly last year. But of the guys that I think were realistic, I think he was number one in terms of who you can actually get. And so I do like that higher. And then again, Zapes, to go back to what I just said a second ago, maybe there was somebody out there that really wanted this job that we don't know about. But based on the information that we have, this was probably the best realistic candidate that you could have gotten. They took one reclamation, one reputation reclamation project in Bruce Pearl in basketball, and it's going like gangbusters. They now have one in football. If this works, look out, right? Who are they going to hire for baseball? Is there, <laughs> is there, is there college right. uh, No, I mean, listen, this is I, – I, you know, I mean, I cover professional sports. I don't know if there's been any scandals of the, of the magnitude of Hugh Freeze, Bobby Petrino, Bruce Pearl – but this is the nature of sports. Um, you know, one, I, I believe we're a more forgiving society than people give us credit for. I think people want to see, you know, when you, when you fail, I think people want to see you, you know, kind of have to pay your, your penance, if you will. I think that's the right word I'm looking for. Penance, um, and then, yeah. Yeah, penance, yeah. And then generally people forgive you. I mean, you know, you see it with professional athletes. You know, I, I mean, I can think of a million examples of professional athletes that have made mistakes that, you know, we forgive them after a while. Um, and I think from the college landscape, we've seen it again with Bobby Petrino, with Bruce Pearl, Sean Miller now at Xavier, Rick Petino right. is maybe the great, you know, does, is anyone still mad about Rick Petino? No, like he got fired. He should have been fired based on the context that we had in the moment. But just because you do something dumb, and in Rick Petino's case, you do it over and over again and it's dumb, doesn't mean that you shouldn't be allowed to ever work again. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't, you know, I don't know that there's any scandal-scarred coaches out there that, that Auburn can go to after these two. Um, but, you know, you go, through, you go through the history of college sports, man. There's a lot of guys like this that get a second, third chance. Yeah. Um, and now it's up to him to, to take advantage of it and to win. So when they hired Pearl, were you behind that hiring? Were you like, look, it's time to let him get a second chance? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, I mean, he had a show cause. What was crazy about that one, Zabes, is he had a show cause, and, like, he signed the contract the day um, that the show cause was up. Show cause basically means that a school has to, can't hire you without, you know, whatever, going through a very long process. So I was fine with that one. You know, I was, I, I've been a supporter of Sean Miller at Xavier. You know, I think a great example right now, and it's kind of laughable to, to go back and see what he did. You know the number one team in college basketball is this week? It's the Houston Cougars, who are number one in the country right now. Kelvin Sampson gets fired for, how about this, Saves Making too many phone calls right. during recruiting. I mean, I think you have kids, I don't know how old they are. Do teenagers even pick up phones anymore when you call them? So it's like, <laughs> you know, like everyone's like, you still get this. It's like Kelvin Sampson, oh, he's a cheater. It's like right. he made too many phone calls. The rule that he broke doesn't even exist anymore. And again, you know, I've, I've used this example a million times. I'm somebody that I believe, listen, if you make a mistake, you have a price to pay to society. And, and depending on the infraction, 
whatever, right? So the example I use all the time, my mom is a huge animal advocate, works at shelters. She's retired now, blah, blah, blah. This woman, I love her to death, and we've argued about this, so she knows I'm saying it. She, like, every time she sees Michael Vick, she thinks that oh, he should never, like, he should be shunned from society. I say, Mom, look, I have a dog. I love my dog. I hate what Michael Vick did. The man paid his debt to society. Let him, like, is he supposed to never be able to leave the house again? And, again, it, you know, that's criminal activity. This is ethical activity, whatever. But, you know, when you pay your debt to society, I believe you deserve an opportunity to not only redeem yourself, but to frankly, um, you know, have a living, whether it's in, in broadcasting, coaching, whatever, as we're talking about sports. And so you go on and on down the list. I mean, I, I can't think of one that I'm really, like, repulsed that this person is working. Um, you know, if somebody's willing to hire them, hire them. And, and by the way, if your school isn't, then that's fine, too. All right. There is the element of cheating in terms of your personal life, which we put aside with Freeze. He was also cheating like crazy at Ole Miss when it came to yep. recruiting guys. So there's that. Um, can he coach absent the kind of cheating he did to get Ole Miss really hot and really good really quick? Well, you know, what I would say is there's this thing called NIL. You know, I, saw, I heard somebody say this. I thought it was really interesting. If you don't like to recruit, like, like Chip Kelly, I live in L.A., you know, and I don't think Chip Kelly really likes to recruit. Now, he's taking advantage of the portal where it's kind of no nonsense. I want to come here for this specific reason. You don't like to recruit. You don't really have to recruit anymore. You get, you get the collective together. You round some people up, and, you, frankly, you pay players. And so, you know, I think this new world that we live in with NIL, one, you know, one of the things that has made Auburn so attractive to the AD John Cohen, it's been reported was that he was coming from Mississippi State and he felt like the school was falling behind in NIL. They weren't taking NIL as seriously. And Auburn has basically put together the money to be, quote-unquote, very competitive, whatever that means. I think it just means they have the money to pay players, uh, which is now above board. And so, you know, I think Hugh Freeze is going to be able to get talent in. And I think the uh, two other things really stand out. One, you can criticize him, but he won at Liberty and he's a great talent developer. I mean, this year they were 8-1 and one at one point, and he did most of it with his third-string quarterback. So I think the combination of NIL, he does have a track record of actual player development, and then on top of that, the transfer portal. Look, man, you know, you, you listen to all these coaches, and I think they're right. Even Jimbo Fisher dropped this line a few weeks ago, which was pretty funny. You know, they're trying to pin him on, oh, this season's such a disappointment. He said, well, it's going to help in recruiting because we're going to have plenty of playing opportunity. And so – that's kind of what's, what I think is going to be a sell at Auburn is that, that, you know, a lot of the programs that were very active in the portal this year are in a much better – last year, excuse me, are in a much better position. USC rebuilt through the portal. LSU, Texas all rebuilt through the portal. There's not as many teams that need as many guys this year. The one thing that Auburn can, can offer, which we all saw on the field, is plenty of playing time. Right. Uh, and I, I think he's going to be able to get talent in there. Now, what does it mean in the toughest division in football? I don't know but I think there's going to be a talent upgrade for sure. The way the portal works, as you described it, for coaches that may not like or may not be great at recruiting is fascinating. It didn't dawn on them until you explained it. Like with Chip Kelly, it's almost like a click, print, deliver, Amazon.com style of gimme players. If you're a kid who wants to be in California, wants to be at UCLA, and you're like, okay, let's go do this, and I can get X amount of dollars, click, 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 and I'm there. That takes a lot of burden off. Yeah, if I can jump in really quick, I think, you know, the way I've heard Chip Kelly talk about this, the way he looks at it is it's almost like the NFL. And the one thing that I've heard from coaches for years about the the transfer portal is I think a lot of kids, when they're getting recruited out of high school, it's about the bells, the whistles, the facilities, the gear, the this, the that. And in general, when you're transferring, it's with a purpose. Either you didn't play or you had success at a lower level, but you want to prove you can do it at a higher level. And so what Chip Kelly has said, and I don't know if this is going to change as NIL kind of expands and there's more money involved, but what Chip Kelly said is most of the kids, it's a pretty easy conversation is, like you said, Zapes, come, come to the Pac-12, come to L.A., come to the West Coast. We have this dynamic offense in the case of UCLA, but it's really one of those, hey, we need a guy like you. You need a place to prove yourself. It's not about, again, the facilities and the gear and the dorms and the girls and the this and the that. It's, it's how is the fit for football? How quickly can I come in and contribute? How quickly can I prove myself? In many cases, how quickly can I get out to the NFL? Um, and so that, that's part of it. But what will be interesting about this year 
is, of course, you know, the, the increased NIL. And if, if there's a financial component to some kids that are maybe even having success, deciding to go somewhere else because maybe they're offered something frankly illegally had a beautiful moment this morning with a young producer had not heard of nor seen the hugh freeze coaching from a hospital gurney at liberty game he did not know about it he missed that somehow and when i said go ahead google it he started laughing his ass off and i said yep that's a classic football coach type of thing oh yeah didn't miss a game didn't miss a beat yep (laughs) all right uh real quick some quick hitters around college football as we head towards what is selection night in fact i think we're 30 minutes away from uh the selection show right seven o'clock eastern tuesday night something like that yeah you know we well you know this one is one i'm not as invested in only because we you know what it is yes correct okay um Question, when it goes to 12, which we expect in two years, yeah? Well, it's going to get to 12 at some point. It could be as early as two years. I think it's no later than like 2025, 2026, somewhere in there. Okay, when it gets to 12, how do you think it's going to play? I think it's a net negative for college football. I mean, I I do. You know, listen, I, I mean, I've done this spiel a million times, but you look at this year. Ohio State loses to Michigan, okay? Ohio State doesn't want to get a a hall pass into a playoff. They want answers on how to get things fixed so they can beat Michigan and compete at the highest level next year. Alabama has been a colossal disappointment this year, and I'm sorry, a 10-2, it is a colossal disappointment. Nick Saban will say, oh, we lost a couple games on the last play of the game. I'll say they also won a couple plays on the last play of the game. They could be 8-4 just like they're 10-2, just like he's claiming they could be 12-0. and it was funny, I was on in Tuscaloosa the other day with my buddy Ryan Fowler, and I asked him point blank, I said, because they're frustrated right now with the offense and with the defense. And so I said to him, I said, if you could backdoor your way into the playoff with no guarantee that you win it, and then beyond that, the, the trade-off is you get stuck with both coordinators for next year, would you take that? <laughs> and he hesitated. He said, well, you know, when you have a chance to compete for a championship, you never really say no, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they're frustrated. They don't want, they don't, they don't want a backdoor in. They know they're not the best team in the SEC. They know they're not even the second best team in the SEC. They want to fix the problem right now. Look at Clemson. Clemson might backdoor, you know, they, all they would have to do in this scenario, they lose to their rival, they lose to Notre Dame, they would still get in winning the ACC. They're not even playing their best quarterback. So, you know, I, 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 that's an I, interesting I, angle, Aaron, and I'm. Yes. This is why I love talking to you because you've now given me two interesting things I've not heard before. The arguments against the 12 team setup, which I'm in favor of, I think it'll be good, entertaining. I think the first round games will be fun and frisky and unpredictable. Then we're going to get the best of the best. It'll likely end up with the same usual suspects in the final four and the semis and the title game, but. But I had not heard your argument about this is going to appease the big boys who are hungry to get better, that it's going to soften their drive to get a new coordinator, to change the way they do things. Because, well, we didn't have a great year, but we're in the playoff anyway. That's a novel concept. The two arguments against I've heard most is these lesser teams, who cares? They're not going to win at all. It's a waste of time. And the other one is that it would render the rivalry games like Michigan-Ohio State much less appealing. Well, and I do think that's part of it. And, Zay, as you mentioned to lead the show, you know, I love college basketball. I'm one of the few people I do watch college basketball, regular season games. I'm invested, whatever. Why I bring it up is because I was thinking about this this week as it pertains to the championship games. You know, we all kind of get checked in on college basketball if you're not a diehard late February, whatever. And then you watch the ACC tournament, you watch the Big East tournament just to kind of get a feel for teams. But, you know, I, I think about, like, again, the ACC championship game this week, right? It has no real stakes. Now, the, the pro playoff people would argue, well, you win and you get in. And it's like, so, but does that devalue everything else ahead of it? You know, so, like, like I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, are, does the Clemson loss last week even matter if we know that if they win the ACC, they get in? Does that make us less likely to watch? By the way, the Big Ten, when they get to 16, I think they're going to eliminate divisions probably. So to your point and to the point that many others have made, you know, does that Ohio State-Michigan game sting as much? By the way, does Michigan get to celebrate as much 
knowing that if they even if they win, they're going to play Ohio State a week from now in Indianapolis. So there's a lot of variables. What, what I would just say really quick, and I've said this many times, I think it's sol- expanding the playoff solves a problem that doesn't exist. That's what I've, my universal thing is, is that the, the reason to expand is to have a more equ- equitable way to crown a champion. I, I don't think there's ever been one year in the playoff era where we haven't, where we've had a team outside of the playoff that was good enough to win it. And so if the teams that are good enough to win it are in the playoff anyway, and as a matter of fact, most years it's usually two or three because you can look at the final scores of the semifinals. They're generally blowouts. It's like, what are we doing? We're expanding. It's going to be entertainment. But as, as I joke often, you know, there, there are teams that are going to make it that aren't good enough to win it, and people say, oh, it's more good football. Well, here's the thing, Zapes. We have these really cool games late in the season right now that are fun games between teams that can't win championships. We call them bowl games. They're awesome. <laughs> People still watch them. You can tell me nobody watches the Rose Bowl. It had 13 million viewers last year, and there was nothing other than a trophy at stake. All right, 30-second exit question. Anyone on upset alert this weekend, Aaron, and what is your final four when the smoke clears? Yeah, I'll say it really quick. Georgia's not losing. Um, I don't believe USC is actually going to lose. Uh, TCU, I'm kind of up in the air on. And then Michigan, I don't think it really matters. The one that I think is an upset, again, I don't know if anybody will care, is Clemson and UNC. Um, Clemson, not a lot to play for, but more importantly, the kid Drake May, I think most people know, uh, projected top 10 pick at quarterback next, not this coming fall, but next year he's not eligible. Uh, so UNC's quarterback is an NFL prospect. Clemson has struggled to stop the pass, gave up almost 400 yards the other day against South Carolina. I think UNC pulls the outright upset. I know Clemson's about a seven and a half point favorite. I think that's the one if you care because there's no playoff stakes, but that's the one that I see as the upset. And that would, and that would leave us with a final four of. I'm going to go – I'm probably going to go chalk. Um, I, I think, you know, listen, I, I, I don't think USC is losing. TCU could be the one, and I think that would be an interesting debate. TCU versus Ohio State, I hate to say it. I think TCU would have the stronger resume. I think the committee knows that this is ultimately a TV product, and I think Ohio State would get in. You know what, Zabes, for the sake of fun, my final four, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, USC. It sounds great on paper. I don't think Ohio State is very good, but that will ultimately be my final four. Well, as I like to say, I'd watch that. So there you go. Aaron Torres, Fox Sports Radio, the Aaron Torres podcast. Download it wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for your time, my friend. We'll talk soon. Zabes, I appreciate you, brother. Talk soon. There you go. Before we go, happy 40th, Diet Coke. You evil, evil, delicious drink. Coca-Cola launched Diet Coke in 1982. I don't know what the date was, so i got to figure out if it's got an actual birth date date because those of us who are hopelessly addicted to the evil silver can are going to probably want to have a party of some sort. According to this thread on Twitter, it was a huge risk for the beverage company. And here's why. The first glass of Coca-Cola was sold in 1886. Think about that. I believe the original formula had a little bit of actual cocaine in it. I don't know if that's an urban legend or not, but I've read that, heard that. The beverage company expanded rapidly over the following decades. It wasn't until 1962 that Coke even launched their first diet beverage, Tab, which was named so to keep tabs on your weight, ha, 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 tab sucked. Great taste, one calorie tab. Eh, you got the one calorie right. Great taste, not so much. As the health craze took off in the 70s, tab became a huge hit. While original Coca-Cola, full of sugar, owned 60% of the soft drink beverage market, the sale of diet drinks were growing three times faster than the rest of the category. Coca-Cola executives were concerned that all the brand equity it had built in the name would be lost if Tab became their biggest moneymaker. So in 1980, a secret team within Coca-Cola went to work on Diet Coke. The drink would cannibalize Tab, but the word Coke was at least in the name. So how to keep Coke's brand equity in the name? A couple options were considered. One, call it sugar-free. However, the name was considered too critical of the original Coke's key ingredient. They thought about light 
However, competitors already are using that with their diet beverages. By the way, Coca-Cola, Diet Coke in other countries like Mexico is already Coca-Cola light. They call it Coca-Cola light. The final choice was diet. Diet Coke, however, with a lowercase d. You have to go back and look at the old bottle labeling to see the lowercase d in diet. That was on purpose. Capital D was a noun which would have conflicted with the Coke trademark. And the lowercase d, as in diet, was an adjective and had no uh, conflict. Also, executives wanted to de-emphasize the diet, so they made it lowercase. It's it's diet. It's Coke. It's just diet Coke. By the end of 1983, one year in, Diet Coke was the most successful diet beverage on the market. It was the fourth best-selling brand in the beverage category after Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and 7-Up. And from 2011 to 2015, it overtook Pepsi to be the number two best-selling beverage in the country. In 2020, Coca-Cola discontinued tab. <laughs> anyway, that's that's your story about Diet Coke. Some fun facts include that Diet Coke is less dense than regular Coke, so it actually floats in water. Both contain the same amount of liquid, but Diet Coke requires less sweetener to flavor the drink. And so therefore, the can of Coke will sink, whereas Diet Coke will float. Also, one of the first Diet Coke ads was in 1983, shown after the series finale of MASH, which, hello, was watched by 106 million people. Coca-Cola must have paid a fortune for this 30-second ad. You know what's new? Diet Coke! And you're going to drink it just for the taste of it. Introducing Diet Coke. You're going to drink it just for the taste of it. Living good with Diet Coke. This is the one from Coca-Cola. Drink all the taste with just one calorie. Just for the taste of it. Just for the taste of it. There you go. Would I love to kick the habit? Of course I would. But it's hard. Because a super cold Diet Coke, especially one that is doused in some very nice, tightly frozen ice cubes. Mm -hmm. Chef's kiss. Finally, I end on this. Sue me? Yeah. Sue Everybody. So as you probably have heard, this high-end Italian fashion designer, Balenciaga, or brand, Balenciaga, which has insanely expensive clothes, recently came out with an ad campaign that made people say, what the fuck? It involved little children ages maybe five, six, seven years old holding teddy bears that were adorned in bondage gear chains and leather and all the handcuffs and all this stuff. And people are like, what is wrong with you? So they're under fire. Of course, very few celebrities have actually spoken out against this. I believe Kim Kardashian, who has a relationship with them, finally said, I have, I, this is horrible. They shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be sexualizing young children like this. Everyone else been pretty much silent. Has Balenciaga apologized? Like, all right, sorry, we pushed it too far. You know, we're a fashion, we're a high-end fashion brand. We, this is the stuff we do. We push the envelope. Sorry, too far? Too much? Okay. No, what they're doing is they're actually suing the advertising company or the creative company they enlisted to make the ads. Isn't that rich? <laughs> they're like... Hey, yeah, this ad company, they did it. That, that was not us. What the, what the, what the hell is this? Why, uh, J- Johnson, did you look at this before they put, you didn't. It was regular, it was regular teddy bears, you swear. And then they put these in there? Oh, oh, <laughs> we're going to sue you. I'd say the suit has no chance in hell, but eh, I know better. In our country, with lawsuits, Anything is possible. All right, you've made it to the end of the podcast. Congratulations. Now I'm going to give you an Easter egg. If you ever wondered, like, do you have any gear for the Zabecast? The answer is finally yes. 
I have a limited number of beautiful flex fit black one size fits all adjustable mid crown Zabecast hats that have a beautiful uh, PVC highly detailed Zabecast logo, the barrel head logo that you see on this podcast right there on the crown of the helmet on the crown of the uh, hat. And I am selling them for the outrageous, exorbitant price of $35 fucking dollars a piece plus $7 shipping and handling. Actually, it's just the shipping. The handling is free. So for 42, that's an outrageous amount of money. Who would pay such an amount? Well, you know, inflation, cost of fuel, uh, chip shortage, uh, staffing issues, you know, all the usual things. I mean, look, it's, it was one of these side hustles. It's, you know, like all retail, it's basically double what I'm in for buying the hat, sourcing the thing, getting it put together. My guy, Sean, uh, with rocket promotions in Milwaukee is kind enough to be applying the logos that I've uh, sourced to put on there. So it is what it is. I only have like 50 of them, so it'll be a collector's item. It's a really good hat. I, I wore the hat. I go, this is a great hat and it's adjustable. It's light. You barely feel it on your dumb head. It'll fit anybody. It shapes to your head. Uh, I bet it's great breathable in hot weather. I don't know if it's washable or not, but still it's a hat. I also have the same hat for 97.3, the game fans in both red and black. If you are interested in such a hat at an insanely exorbitant price, by the way, if you buy two hats, shipping's the same. If you buy 50 hats, shipping is the same, okay? Uh, but if you're interested, email me, please. That's how I'm handling it because it's not very many hats. Just email me at zabe at yahoo.com and I will tell you how to go about ordering this limited edition fine piece of Zabecast Kitchikana. Merry Christmas, everybody. Don't say I never did nothing for you. All right, thanks for listening. Have yourself a great Wednesday, everybody. Go USA. And we will see you next time. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Make March Madness a moneymaker with MyBookie. Getting started is easy. Visit MyBookie online and use promo code ZABE to receive a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Grab your extra funds now and for a limited time, claim a free entry into the $150,000 MyBookie Madness Bracket Contest for a chance at the big money. If you're the type of guy who likes to fill out multiple brackets to get an advantage, you can do that too. The price of entry is less than an Uber, all for a shot at life-changing amounts of moolah. With so many brands to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and simple to win and simple to get paid, like MyBookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.